This semester, we are doing a series together in the fall where we are talking about questions from Jesus. And as we've said each week, uh, we've, we've noticed it's, just, it's amazing that when God entered into time, when God became man in the person of Jesus, which is what, what Christians believe, that he, um, he came asking questions. He asked questions to ordinary people, uh, which is remarkable that that's how, how God entered into the world. And tonight we're going to look at um, what I think is one of the more interesting questions that Jesus asks, uh, and it's this. He asks, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? So we're going to read this together. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. It's on the screen. It's just a couple of verses from John 6. Um, this is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true, and he gives it to us in love. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So some of you share my love for the show The Office. I know not everyone has seen The Office, but uh, it has a, a special place in my heart. And Mary Clark and I are watching this fall and in season seven, episode seven, this is an episode called The Christening. And in this episode, Pam and Jim have their daughter Cece and they bring her to church to have her christened. And they invite all of their coworkers from the office to come. And as often is the case in this show, Michael Scott is the center of, um, center of, of drama on the show. And so the scene opens with them in the church and there's this awkward conversation between Pam and Jim and Michael Scott because Michael Scott thinks that he's going to be the godfather and they tell him, no, that's not what's going to happen. So he goes and sits back down, pretty downcast, but then in the church they start greeting, people start greeting each other and as he's meeting people, like he's just, the energy, he just, he's loving it. Like his energy starts to build and he says, Um, He said, I'm feeling this. Call it the Holy Spirit or the passion of Christ, but I'm loving these people. And so he's just getting amped up on everyone's energy in the church. And so after this, they go to reception, and Michael's there, and he hears about this upcoming mission trip that the youth group is taking. Um, They're taking a trip to Mexico for a couple of months. And so he... um, he, there's this like receiving line where, where I guess the families are saying goodbye to these high school students as they're getting on the, the bus to go from Pennsylvania to Mexico for a couple of months. And as he sees this enthusiasm and love of people like giving handshakes and high fives and hugs, he, he decides that he's going to go on the mission trip too. So he gets in line and starts getting hugs and high fives and gets on the bus. And he's so excited that he's going on this mission trip. Um, and he says, I have never been more confident of any decision in my life on this. And then an hour into his journey, he begins doubting that decision, asking questions like, how long are we on this bus? Where are we going? Why am I doing this again? He says, I feel like there are so many more people on this bus, like two or 300. And he starts to freak out a little bit. And then he bails, like he gets off the bus, um, totally bails on the mission trip. And it's a hilarious scene. It's classic Michael Scott. and actually illustrates a dynamic that's happening in John 6, in the passage right before what we read. So let me set the scene for you. Um, John 6 tells the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, about 5,000 people on just two loaves of bread and five fish. And he feeds them, and he actually feeds them to where they're, they're full. And so people are having this experience of Jesus where he is, he's meeting their needs, um, he's satisfying them. They're loving this. They're so into Jesus. 
So they say in, in verse 15, it says that they were going to come and take him by force and try to make Jesus king, make him their king. And so he withdraws into the mountains. And then the next day, the disciples and Jesus have crossed the sea to the other side. And the crowds are still so into Jesus that they get in their own boats and they go looking for him. So picture this with me. The crowds are loving Jesus. He's doing wonderful things. He's filling them with good food. He's meeting their needs. They love him. They want to be near him. They're following him. And then he starts teaching these difficult things. Verse 60, which we didn't read, it says, when many of his disciples heard his teaching, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then it culminates in the text that we read, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. To which Jesus responds to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Do you also want to leave? You're not leaving too, are you? And here's what I want to do tonight. Instead of getting into the weeds of what's going on in John 6, because there's a lot in John 6, instead I want us to take like a 30,000 foot view with this question. Because in this question we find a dynamic that all of us will encounter in our life with Christ as we follow him. I see this dynamic at work in my life, and I want you to be able to see and identify it in your life as well. You see, John 6 begins with such excitement. Everyone is loving Jesus, what he's saying, what he's doing. He's giving them what they want. His agenda and their agenda are synced up. And then things change because Jesus begins to challenge them. And they get confused and offended and troubled, and then many of them walk away. And I want us to see two things highlighted in Jesus' question. First, the inevitability of, of doubt, the inevitability of doubt. And second, the invitation to trust. I just want to say, um, a lot of what I'm sharing with you all tonight is uh, from a friend of mine, Robert Cunningham, um, and he's helped me a lot with this passage. So first, the inevitability of doubt. The inevitability of doubt. Life with Jesus is hard, and it is going to present radical challenges and critiques to each of us. Jesus is not a yes man. Um, we, we shouldn't expect him to be. Think about it this way. If the God that you believe in shares all of the same preferences and opinions that you do, if this God agrees with you in everything you believe and he never challenges you, is he actually God? Or have you created a God in your own image? Have you just invented a God who loves what you love and hates what you hate? To take Jesus seriously, to let him be Lord of your life, to say to him daily, not my will, but your will be done, is challenging. It's incredibly difficult. And this shouldn't surprise us, right? We should expect an infinite holy God to see things differently than us his finite, sinful creatures. But still, it can be a challenge for us. We see this play out in lots of different ways. For the crowds in John 6, their frustrations were cultural, theological, and experiential. So culturally, Jesus was challenging some of their deeply held cultural convictions. And theologically, Jesus was making challenging claims about the nature and character of God. And then experientially, some of what John, Jesus teaches in John 6 is disorienting and uncomfortable and disappointing. And for us, our frustrations can be similar. For those of you who are Christians, perhaps when you first encountered and experienced Jesus, everything was wonderful. But then as you started to follow him and you learned about him and you saw how he lived and how he calls his followers to live and you started to wonder, is it worth it? Or maybe you grew up in and around the church and then you come to wake and you start hearing new critiques of Christianity. Your professors challenge what you believe. 
Your friends think your involvement with RUF is weird. Or maybe you start to make friends who aren't like you culturally, and then you begin to notice that some of Jesus' teachings are really hard, and some sort of embarrass you, or they offend you, or they confuse you. And here's the point. Whether we are conservative or liberal or anything in between, Jesus, his life, his teaching, his commands, Jesus will inevitably challenge us, critique us, call us to something that we wouldn't naturally think is the way. And I'm curious, what is it for you? What are your hangups? What are the parts of Christianity that cause you the most confusion, the most frustration and doubt? Um, and if we had time, I'd want to know, what do you do with your hangups? And I just want to say, that's why we're here. That's why the staff is here. Uh, we want, we're here to walk with you through this. We would love to hear about your hangups, your hangups and your doubts and your frustrations, your confusions. We would love to walk through this with you. One of my friends is a guy named John Minan, who is the RUF campus minister at the University of Vermont. And he uses this great illustration to help us think about our doubts. And this is what he says. He says, Jesus invites you to follow him on a journey of faith. Right? He says, come follow me. And as you begin to follow him, you begin to have small little doubts. And they're like getting a pebble in your shoe. So you're hiking with Jesus. You get this pebble in your shoe. And you can feel it in there, but you decide, nah, I'm not going to do anything about it. And you keep walking, and the pebble begins to bother you. It starts digging into your foot. You don't deal with it. And over time, it starts to wear away at your skin, eventually create a little sore, maybe a blister, but you still do nothing. Eventually, it's created an open wound, and you're limping, unable to put any weight on that foot. It's really bothering you. You're injured until finally you sit down. You're no longer hiking. You're done. Why? Because you never dealt with the pebble. You never attended to the initial small things that were nagging with you. Those initial challenges, whether they be cultural or theological or experiential, those initial challenges begin to turn into doubts and they create a kind of spiritual blister. And then you end up bailing on the journey. Why? What happened? Why did John walk away from the faith? It's not because he got crushed by some huge existential boulder, but because he never stopped to attend to the pebbles. I think this is one of the more common dynamics for how people walk away from Jesus. You have some struggle, some doubt, something that's confusing to you, and you just never address it. You never deal with it, and eventually the slow wearing away of that pebble ends the journey. And every single person in this room, all of us, will inevitably have our hang-ups, our questions, our doubts. I mean, some of you have already worked through some of yours, Some of you, they're still to come. Some of you are in the middle of them right now. And here's the thing. Shaking out our shoes, dealing with the doubts and the things that we struggle to understand, this is essential for our faith and our life with Jesus. Because if we don't do this, we won't be able to walk with him for very long. Because the pebble will cause a sore, and then a blister, and then an open wound, and then you'll be unable to walk. But if you take your shoes off and you shake the pebble out you can begin to heal. And I venture that some of you have never been encouraged to ask hard questions. Or you've never had the community or the pastoral support to walk through your hard questions. Friends, the inevitability of rocks in your shoes doesn't have to turn you away. But rather, in the midst of that inevitability, I want you to hear in Jesus' question an invitation. An invitation. And the question, do you want to go away as well, 
the inherent invitation from Jesus is come and see. Come and abide with me. Come be with me as you work through your questions. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be messy. It doesn't mean that you're going to find the exact answers that you're looking for. But here's what it does mean. It means that Jesus knows exactly where you are and he doesn't want you to pull away from him. He wants you to stay close as you wrestle through your doubts. Friends, Jesus can handle your doubts and your questions. Your questions and your doubts aren't too much for Jesus. Christianity is unique amongst the world religions because it is not simply a set of beliefs or tenets to ascribe to, but at the core of the Christian faith is a relationship with a person, a relationship with Jesus who is fully human and fully God. And he invites you as a person to trust him. And I want you to see two things that he invites you to trust. First, he invites us to trust the process. And second, he invites us to trust the promise. So first, trusting the process. Look at Peter's response to Jesus in verses 68 to 69. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you notice the order there in verse 69? He says, believe and then come to know. Notice what he doesn't say. Peter doesn't say, so we've, he doesn't say we know fully and so we come to believe. It's the opposite order. He says we have believed and then we come to know. This is the basis of a, a famous saying in church history, the saying, I believe in order to know. If you're into Latin, the Latin <laughs> phrase is credo ut intelligam, I believe in order to know. We begin by trusting, not without doubts or questions, but in the midst of our doubts and questions. But it's as we trust that we progress into deeper knowledge and deeper insight. This is the process. I believe in order to know. And this is one of the deep mysteries of the universe. That This is saying that intimacy, real intimacy, real being known and knowing comes on the far side of commitment. In any relationship, intimacy is found on the far side of commitment. This is the principle behind Christian marriage, the belief that real romantic intimacy, knowing and being known, can only come on the other side of vows, the covenant, the commitment made. Believe, trust, commit, and then you will discover intimacy. And Jesus is inviting us to trust him because it's only on the far side of commitment that you will find intimacy with God. And this doesn't mean that he wants you to stop asking questions, but it means bringing your questions with you trusting him. It means that the best place to work through those questions is with him. God wants us to wrestle through the hard things in his embrace, not away from it. And look at Peter. Listen to his answer to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, where else can we go? I still have questions, but I believe you. I believe you're good. I believe you are true. I believe you are life. And I hope you hear this invitation from me and from RUF You were here for four years. If you can't ask your questions and work through them here, where else are you supposed to go? (laughs) Often we think that we need to figure out life on our own or we feel that we need to get our stuff in order before we go and, um, and participate in something outside of us. But the Christian life is not designed to be lived in isolation. It's not supposed to just be me and Jesus. That's why we do this together each week. That's why we we come together in a group and we sing together and we listen to scripture together and we listen to the word together. It's why the church is essential for our life with God because all of us, all of us will walk through seasons of doubt and struggle. 
There will be days or weeks or even years when we don't have the faith to sing the words that we sing or to pray the prayers that we pray. And that's why we need one another. Because even if you can't muster up the words to sing, if you can't muster up the faith to sing the words, you can stand here shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters and hear them sing for you. Their voices can lift you up to Jesus. It's the community of faith that keeps us close to Jesus. So if you're going to do this, if you're going to begin to work through your doubts, if you're going to take off your hiking boots and begin to shake out those pebbles, I want you to do it as you're immersed in a Christian community. Um, Today, as we were praying together as a staff, uh, my office is in the basement of the kitchen, and we're we're praying together in my office, and the the fire alarm went off um, while we were in there. And I said, let's pray through it, which I don't know why I'd want to stay in there. Um, So we sat there. Some of us were in chairs. Some of us sitting on the floor. And we prayed. And I just couldn't focus. Right? You guys know this fire alarm. Um, I couldn't focus because in the background was this. There is a fire emergency reported in the building. Do not use the elevators. Go to the nearest stairwell and exit the building. Right? And it went on. That was pretty good. It went on for 15 minutes. Right? And this is going in the background. In the middle of praying, I stopped praying. I looked up and said to everyone, I can't focus. But everyone else prayed, and they kept praying, and they helped me. Because if I'd been in that room by myself, I just would have given up, right? The fire alarm thing is just so loud and annoying. I probably should have, we should have left anyways. We waited it out. We toughed it out. Um, didn't die in the fire. And, but I needed everyone else to get through it. I needed everyone else's prayers to actually hold me in that space and get through it. And I think this is often what our doubts feel like. Like we're trying to pray, we're trying to believe, but there's this loud noise in our heads telling us to evacuate. Like there's this repeated noise that goes over and over that's telling us to do something else. It's telling us that we're being ridiculous. It's telling us to leave. And they happen at the same time. Friends, this is why we need community. You need one another as you wrestle through your doubts. Because where else are you supposed to go to work through this if you can't ask questions here in RUF? And if you don't have a smaller group of people to walk through your doubts and struggle with, please talk to us. Talk to me or Ellis or Emily or Matt or Dakota. We would love to help give this to you. We'd love to connect you with other people to do this with. We need one another in this. This is the process. We believe in order to know. And Jesus invites us to trust the process. And he also invites us to trust the promise. In his book, The Universe Next Door, James Sire shares three questions that every religion or worldview can be judged by. Every religion or worldview can be judged by these three questions. Does it contradict itself? Can it be lived with integrity or consistency? And can it make sense of the data? Can it make sense of what we see and experience in the world? Here's why I share this. We can summarize Peter's point like this. He's saying, Lord, the alternatives are not good. To whom shall we go? If the crucified and risen Jesus is not God's word to the world, then please, anyone, give us a more credible word. And if you haven't done this yet, look around. Test the alternative answers to the world's major questions. The answers to the questions of the problem of evil and the problem of sin and your shame and your guilt to your longing for meaning, for your longing for enoughness, for your longing for purpose, for our craving for justice, The world's meaning for our hope that death is not the last word on our life. Test these alternative answers and you will come to the same conclusion that Peter has. 
He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of real life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter gets it. He knows Jesus well enough to know that whatever he teaches, whatever he commands, whatever he calls us to, even if it is some form of self-denial, some form of self-sacrifice, it is an invitation to life. The invitation at the heart of the Christian faith is to trust Jesus even in the midst of our doubts and our questions. It's to say, I know that you are saying some difficult and confusing things to us, and yet who you are, who you promise to be, is the most credible answer to our deepest questions. And this doesn't mean that we don't have any more questions. It doesn't mean that we understand everything you say. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle to obey you at times. It means that we believe, Jesus, that you are life itself and no real lasting life can be found apart from you. And this invitation from Jesus is an invitation to keep drawing near. Not in a way that tries to hide his difficult teachings, but in a way that invites you to know him personally. To let his character shape the way that you hear and understand him. That he is gentle and meek and tender and that he forgives sinners That Jesus opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That he suffers with us and for us. At the center of the Christian faith is the claim that the fullest revelation of God is a brown-skinned, Aramaic-speaking Jewish man who hung naked on a cross while praying for the forgiveness of the very people who were murdering him. There is no deeper reservoir of hope and life to draw from as you wrestle through your questions. And the claim is that in Jesus, God has freely laid down his life for you so that through faith, through believing in him, you might have abundant life, everlasting life. This is the promise that we are invited to cling to, to cling to Jesus even in your doubts. Let me close with this. There's an author named James K. Smith who's a a philosopher and um, I really enjoy a lot of his books. He wrote a book called How Not to Be Secular, And in that book, he says this. He says, faith is fraught. Confession is haunted by an inescapable sense of its contestability. We don't believe instead of doubting. We believe while doubting. He writes, we are all doubting Thomas now. And towards the end of John's gospel, something strange and discouraging happens to one of Jesus' disciples named Thomas. Jesus rises from the dead and returns to reveal himself to his followers and to everyone who's there to see him. And his followers are there to see him and behold him, to worship him, to be encouraged by him. Everyone except Thomas. Thomas is left out. We're not told why. We're just told that he's not there. So I want you to imagine with me what Thomas was thinking and feeling, like what this could have been like, where his friends come to him and say, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. Jesus rose from the dead And he came and he spent time with us. We got to see him and talk to him, to hug him, to hear him laugh again. And he spoke to us and he taught us. And Thomas had to be thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Like, why wasn't I there? Did he not want me to be there? Does he not love me? Does he not care if I know him? How am I supposed to believe? It's not not fair. All my friends are in on something. They're all more more in sync with Jesus than me. And then Thomas says this. He says, unless I see him, I don't know that I'll ever believe. And then we read that eight days later, the disciples were together, and this time Thomas was with them. 
And here you have this guy who is mired in doubt, who is struggling to believe it all, but where is he? He's still in the community. And it's there among his people that Jesus shows up. And Thomas gets to do what we all long to do. He looks into the very face of God. He sees and he touches his scars. And Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And friends, I want you to hear this invitation from Jesus. Stay with his community, even in your darkest and most disorienting seasons of doubt. Remember, he invites you to trust him. He invites you to trust him to believe that he has the words of life, that he is life. Because his promise is that one day our faith will turn to sight. One day we will see him face to face and he will wipe every tear from every, every eye for he himself is life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this question that you ask your disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Lord, uh, we confess how hard it is to believe that so often um, we have this, the fire alarm is going off while we're trying to pray, that our faith is mingled with our doubt, and Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, help us, um, help this community be a place where we can be honest about um, what we believe and what we don't believe Um, that we might wrestle with it together in the arms of your embrace. We pray in Christ's name, amen.